So this morning we're going to continue in a, in a series over Easter uh, called This Space Intentionally Left Empty. I think that's what it's called. Blank. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. And it's about this idea that when we come to Easter, you saw it up here this morning, and that was awesome use of the Easter, uh, uh, Easter egg colors, right, to share the gospel. And I'm not saying there's a bad use because even just the dip in the pretty pink eggs and stuff is a, is a, a thing, right? So it's, it's a memory maker, right? And I'm with crayons and all that stuff. Um, but it really was causing me to think this year about what we project onto Easter and what and, and these Easter stories that we hear over and over again. We go, yeah, I've heard the story before and, and what it means. What we make it about. Because it seems to me that as we look at Easter, Jesus clearly proclaimed the gospel, but has allowed us as people to color that any any way that we want. And so it was kind of funny coming in. I thought, this is kind of weird. I talked to the leadership team about what I was going to do. And I'm like, I'm not sure why this, you know, what we're doing here. But this is what I'm feeling like we should do for the Easter series and all that. They're always kind of asking me where we're heading for the sermon direction for the church and stuff like that. And so I I had this idea. And I want to share with you something. I don't think she's here this morning, which is kind of funny. Um, But uh, we have family group Monday nights at our house. And so I have one of these sheets. There's engagement sheets in the back. And I want to share an engagement sheet with you that came from our family group. We were meeting that night. And I was discussing, this was the very first week of the series, and I was discussing the series, and I pulled out one of these little cards from my Bible, the engagement sheet, and uh, someone at the table uh, said, hey, can I have that? I'll, I'll let you guess who it might have been. <laughs> Sarah Walker. Uh, and, 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 she, and she just began to, as we studied the Bible, she began to kind of furiously or calmly or whatever um, sketch and draw and, tw- and, and just work and had a whole set of pe- you know, pencils that came out of like the magic box that Sarah carries. I don't know where it came from really. I think she just snagged it from one of the kids and began to color. And, uh, and then later we had a conversation about this. About, cause I, I took that back from her. Um, and then she's like, can I have that? I'm like, no, it's mine. I'm totally keeping that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because this is exactly what I was talking about in a way, right? Like there's this blank slate of Easter and then we all put our projections uh, onto it. I wanted to share uh, a little close-up of it as well. Because of what I love here is we're in week three is if you notice, uh, look at the, qu- the question mark in there. I mean, it's just funny. It's like this place, this space intentionally left blank and then, and then we just kind of draw over what we think it's about. And, but I got to say one of the things I kind of love about this in particular as I was looking at it is it is about questions, isn't it? The Easter story. I mean, how many times in this series have we come up and said, well, why is that? You know, um, why is the cross empty? Why, why does Peter and John run to the tomb and then one go in and one not go in and, and then they don't even know what it's about? And Mary Magdalene says outside and she weeps her eyes out. She doesn't know what's going on. And maybe more importantly, like, what would you, what do you color in there in your own blank sheet of your life to say this is what the gospel is about? Well, that's the question of the series, and that's the question we've been uh, trying to answer together a little bit, and answer then from God's Word about what the, the I, I, I want to say this today, I don't think it's an accident. Hold me down on this a little bit. I don't think Jesus did anything by mistake. Like, I, 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 I get he's infallible, right? but I don't think it was like, well, oop, I should have been more clear about that teaching. And so I'll talk about that today, and why that might matter in the way we follow Jesus in our lives. The three things I've been telling you about is that he left an empty cross, an empty grave, and an empty place at the table. And so today I want to talk to you about the last, the empty place at the table. I'm going to ask you to pray with me one more time today for the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit as we, you know, read his word and study his word together, that he would teach and we would learn. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come into your house and to worship you and to sit at your feet, Father, just like the disciples, like they did so long ago. Take our spot 
and learn from you. I pray against our own uh, hubris, our own uh, thinking too much of ourselves, and, and I just confess that we have no wisdom of our own, but we need you to provide it, Father. And so would you be teacher today? Uh, would you instruct us in a way in our lives that we ultimately have to live it out because it's changed everything? We thank you so much uh, for the way that you do what only you can do through the gospel that you bring to us in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so I'm going to ask you to turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke. This is at the very end of the Gospel of Luke, so that's where we're going to be in this, uh, in any of the Gospels at this point, because Jesus has died on the cross, uh, been raised from the dead, and now this is a post-resurrection narrative this morning. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. It should be on page uh, 738 of the Bibles in the end of the chair rows if you want to check it out. I would encourage you to read it for yourself. Feel free to read around it. This is what I want to share this morning. When he, that is Jesus, was at the table with them, he, I'll say it again, Jesus, took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? If you've read the story before, if you've heard the story before, you know this is the footnote, this is the tail end, the very end of an of a amazing encounter Jesus had with the disciples after resurrection. It's this little story that has profound significance, and again, to be really like direct, he literally leaves an empty spot at the table. And I, I have to wonder that and go, well, Why? Why does he lead that way? Why does he teach that way? Maybe in your own life right now, you're going, I want to see God, but why does he make it plainer to me? I'm going to explore that today together. What, what is it that uh, Jesus is doing in his, in his ministry? So, by the way, this, this reads as when he, when he uh, was at the table with them, but the, the original, I'm just going to nerd out for a minute, it says, um, uh, it came to pass as he reclined at the table, right? So this is Jesus just hanging out with these dudes, right? And so at that time, it came to pass, this thing happened that's significant. And I want to walk through exactly some of the um, obvious things that he's doing here, but then I want to talk about it in context of the passage. So it came to pass when he was reclining at the table with them that he grabbed some bread. And this might seem like an ordinary thing. You go, yeah, okay, what are you going to talk about with grabbing bread? But like, there's something that matters. The fact that he grabbed the bread at the table with these dudes who are walking along the road. So he grabbed some bread and he gave thanks. And if, you know, if you read uh, the Bible enough, you start to relate things and I go, okay, he Eucharistoed it. You mean Eucharist, we celebrate. That's not what he did. He, he, um, he said good words about it, right? He offered a blessing is the way that's interpreted. You know? He grabs some bread with these dudes. He offered a blessing. And then this thing happens, which is very ordinary. Very ordinary. I mean, I'm just going to blow you away with the non-exceptional nature of what happens. He broke it into pieces. Right? Like, have you ever done that at a table with somebody? Have you ever just taken uh, bread and then uh, broke it into little pieces? It's kind of funny because in our culture, a lot of times that would be a an offensive way to serve bread, I think, wouldn't it? Maybe here's a challenge. Sometime when you're really feeling gutsy, have you over dinner 
as the meal begins or ends or whatever, just stand up and break some bread. Huh. That's all he did. He broke some bread. Wait, wait, is it over? Is that all he did? And he did one more thing, and he gave it to them. Why am I going to be dealt with this? That's what he does, right? He, he grabs it, he says a blessing, he breaks it in little pieces, and he begins to hand the bread to them. Why? Because in that moment it says, then, in that act, as that came to pass, he's hanging out at the table, he's holding bread, he's breaking bread, he's giving it to them. In that moment, their eyes are opened. Isn't that amazing? In that moment, their eyes are open. And what? They recognize him. They see for the first time. And he disappears. Whew. Like that fast. What? And you might think, well, how is that even an Easter story? <laughs> how is that even related uh, to what we call Easter? I want to back up. I want to read it in context. But I just want you to hold that in your mind. That this very simple act, this very simple display, reveals something about God and the way that Jesus leads his people. Because here's a secret. Maybe it's not a secret. It won't be in a minute. A lot of times you hear people who are not in the faith say, I wish God would be clearer. I wish he would show me where he is. Even when you're believing, maybe it's not true for you, I'm always like, God, show me. Would you just show me, would you just show me a little more? Right? I want to see. I want to see more of what you're doing. So it's not just people who are far from faith. It's like us. We're like, just show us. And he's gone. You get this glimpse. You see what I'm saying? You get this wisp of Jesus. <gasps> there he, oh, he was here a second ago. Why would he build a life of faith like that? Why would he do that to these dudes? All right, check it out. Read it with me in, in verse 20, uh, chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, oh no, that's the wrong place. Here we go. It'll be a longer story. 13, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them, that is disciples, were going along to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So these dudes are just going on a journey. They're taking a car trip, right? They're, they're just here to Chicago. They're doing something like that, right? They're here to Virginia. They're, 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 they're making a run. But this is what kills me. In 14, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They're just like, man, what was that? And they're discussing it along the road, a seven-mile journey, right? And I'm thinking, like, do math. How many, how many miles you can walk in a minute and how far that, that journey is for them? <clears throat> and then are they power walking like we do? <laughs> you know, are they kind of casually strolling? Are they, are, they, um, are they sad? Are they happy? What's their demeanor? But here they're walking down the road to Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem after Passover and discussing everything that God had done, Right? That already gives me a pause for a question. Do you have someone in your life you can do that with? Like, is there someone in your life that you can go, I just don't know what God's doing? Because here's something I've learned over, over the years, right? People love for you to tell them what God's doing, but people don't often love to sit around and wonder without answers what God is doing. It's a much more uncomfortable position to be in. I know what he's doing. I can tell you exactly what he's doing. 
Really? Because it seems here they were walking along and they were discussing what had happened. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And then as they walked along the road, as they took this journey and discussed these things with one another, Jesus himself came up and walked along um, among them. But they were kept from seeing him. So they're cruising along, having a conversation. All of a sudden, this other dude shows up in the conversation, doesn't say anything, just walks along with them, right? And starts listening in, you know? And they're having this conversation about what, what's going on. And then in verse 17, Jesus engages. What are you discussing together as you walk along? And then, this gives us an idea of how fast maybe they're walking, what their mood is, what they're thinking about, their demeanor. It says what? They stood still. Their faces downcast. I mean, they're on this journey. They're going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They got a plan. They got to be it there. But they're discussing, you know, what's going on. And then a stranger says to them, what are you talking about? And they just stop in their tracks. And they drop their heads. This is not a good day. This is not uh, the expectation that they have. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Like, are you clueless? <laughs> have you missed all of this? You don't know what we're talking about? Jesus asks, what things? And this is the confession from these two about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. <laughs> Listen to the word. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Past tense. We had hoped he was the one that would redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some women have come and have amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but, they, but him they did not see. So they're like, it's been a tough day, you know? And, and, and we hear these crazy stories. We had hoped he's the one, but we don't see it. We don't see God working. I had hoped this was the one. I don't know if you can relate to that, right? I mean, people like in their faith life, you know, like, man, I said that prayer that one time, and I was, I, but I don't know. I don't see what God's doing. Or people who've been faithful a long time, they have great seasons of blessing, right? Great seasons of blessing. And they go through a desert season. This is such church talk, desert. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like things aren't going well for you, you know? And, and you start to go, man, I don't know what God's doing. What is happening? And look what it says. We had hoped in the past tense. I believed in Jesus then. Uh, now I don't know. I don't know. Some of our companions came out from the tomb and found it just as he said. Just as the women said. But they didn't see him. And then listen to Jesus' response. He says, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, this is the third time, by the way, you've heard this. Did not the Christ, Messiah, have to suffer these things and then enter glory? Two things I want to say here. 
First of all, we read this in red letters. They heard a stranger on the road giving them lectures about Jesus. We hear this as like Jesus is saying this to them because that's what's happening. But they don't see that. Are you so foolish? Do you not know that this must happen? And the second thing I want to say about this is Jesus said before he was crucified, I must be crucified and raised from the dead. That must happen, right? And then you remember the uh, angel said, do you not know this must happen? Do you not understand that this had to happen? The Messiah must die. And here after his death and after his resurrection, Jesus is saying, did you not understand that these things had to happen? Do you, did not the Christ have to suffer? Was it not necessary for Jesus to suffer? Was it not a requirement for him to suffer? Not an option, not another path, but the only way that God would do his work. And then check one more addendum here. And then enter glory. Ah, don't miss that. Not just suffer, not just die, not just be raised, but enter glory. Is that not required of Jesus of Nazareth? To what? What's their hope? We had hoped that he would be the one that was going to redeem God's people. Yeah. Do you not know that he must be glorified? to do that work. How foolish you are. How foolish we are in slow of heart to believe all that's been spoken. All right. I'm going to take a little detour here for a second in this next verse. 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He went to the Testament, we call the Old Testament, and he started to explain from all the scriptures, leaving Jerusalem to these two dudes on the road, everything that had to be true. All the scriptures that were testifying about himself. I want to read it to you again. At, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, right? That's the story of Israel. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Why do I want to make a tangent about this? Easter Sunday. Right, our Good Friday actually is when it was. I was having a conversation. And we were reading from the Old Testament. And someone's like, there's this thing. I just want to tell you about this. There's this thing amongst like um, um, intellectual elites and uh, academics and theologians and stuff. And they say, is that a fair use of the scripture? I had someone tell me that. Someone was talking about the book of Isaiah. And they said, I, I think that's a, not the proper use of scripture. Like, what? Uh, it's not primarily about Jesus. It's not. You see, because you can hold that position. You could say, it's not. There's so much more. There's so, so many more things happening. Um, and there are some things it's about. So I'm not saying there aren't other things it's about. Revelation, by the way. Some of y'all love Revelation. Revelation is about some other stuff. But it's certainly about Jesus. And here we have this moment where Jesus, it says, starts with Moses and the prophets and explains to the folks there, the guys there, everything that was testifying about him. I just want to encourage you in that. Some of you will be believing in Jesus and will say, well, I don't really read the Old Testament because I don't, it doesn't really apply to me. I'm a New Testament Christian, right? I believe in Jesus resurrected. And the Old Testament's the pre-thing and it didn't, it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. The entire Bible is the story of Jesus. The Old Testament, the prophets, the fathers of the faith, all about Jesus. And, and unless you don't believe me, 
hear his words. Jesus began and explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He believed it was about him. 28. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. I've told you before, that's the only time I've ever seen him pretend to do anything. <laughs> he was acting. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went to stay with them. I want you to think about that, right? They're walking along. They don't know this guy from Adam. And then they have this conversation. Do you not know? Are you the only person who doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem these days? And then he goes, oh, you're talking about Jesus of Nazareth? Let me explain to you about what the Bible says about Jesus of Nazareth. And he begins to break it down. And at the end of this conversation, they're so, I would say, stoked. There's a hospitality requirement in the culture. I know that. I know it's nearly evening. They have to invite him in, right? But I can't help but think they go, I want to talk to this guy some more. And so like, hey, will you come to our house? Can we have you in? Come on, please. And he's like, no, nah, I got to go. I got really important stuff to do. And no, come on. Would you come in and stay with us tonight? And that sets the scene. Them opening their home to Jesus and inviting him in after this profound moment of revelation to them. Listen to me, profound. I heard a theologian one time say, people always say, what would you want God to, you know, what, what would you want to hear? If you could listen in, what would you want to hear? And I heard this guy who's a great Bible teacher and, you know, speaker and stuff. He said, I want to hear that. <laughs> I want to hear Jesus' dissertation on the entire scripture about himself. That's what I want to hear, <laughs> you know. These guys got it. Like two dudes, small group. I don't know, I don't know what they're doing. Walking on the road, not expecting it blessed so much they're like come to our house man hang out with us and jesus goes with them and as it came to pass when he was reclining at the table listen after all the teaching and all the insight all the wisdom he grabbed some bread he blessed it he broke it he gave it and what <gasps> their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Look at their follow-up, man. These two dudes who were talking before about what God did in Jerusalem, what happened in Jerusalem, all the things that had transpired in Jerusalem these days, they said, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road? Didn't you, you know what I, you, didn't you see what just happened there? Did not our hearts burn within us when he opened scripture to us? Did you see what happened? What God did back? You know, you can hear him asking the question like, how did we miss it? How did we miss that? How did we not recognize Jesus when he was teaching us about himself? How did we tell him, are you the only fool who don't know what happened in Jerusalem? We had hoped he'd be the one. How do we not see? And, and, and you know, we had the privilege of reading and go, well, we saw it. The, red, the letters were in red for us. <laughs> and then we go on our Christian life. God, just show yourself to us. I mean, there's going to be a moment, I believe, of revelation that we're going to go, how do we not see you there? How do we not see you in the desert? How do we not see you in that space? Oh, maybe. Maybe in our lives, it's in those seasons of absence that we go, ah, oh, we're not our hearts burning within us. That was the Lord, right? 
We're not our hearts. Look at what it takes to do that. Two people willing to talk about their faith. Did you, what do you think God's doing with this? You know, and then later on, did, did, did our hearts not burn within us in that moment? That was God, right? You think back over the life of ministry and of faith, of things you've gotten to partake in and that you didn't deserve, that you weren't looking for, and then God blessed you with them unexpectedly, and then we become kind of like callous to that. We're like, well, just show me something. I'm like, did we not see it before? Hmm. I told you I would come back to this issue of Jesus disappearing. Why? I mean, why not stay? <laughs> Matter of fact, in Jesus' resurrection, his appearing and disappearing is always without, like, at his discretion. <laughs> he just comes and goes as he pleases. It's almost like he's God or something, right? <laughs> like we don't have a right. Um, but why? I want to share with you a, um, a scripture from the end of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews written to the Israeli people trying to explain the atonement of Jesus Christ. He paid one time for all sins, the sin may be forgiven. That he's the perfect priest, the perfect sacrifice. He's the temple ent entrance, the curtain that we go through. He's everything. The entire book builds to that point. Um, but then there's some final exhortations recorded in Hebrews. And this is Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. You can turn there if you want. Uh, you don't have to, but you can if you want to. And I'm going to read a little bit around it. I like to do that, as you know. I'm going to start in chapter 12, verse 28. After all the things being said about Jesus and his, his kingship, his rule, his authority, his right to reign and, and sit, and, and you know everything that his blood bought us and, and, and the, the tabernacle, the eternal tabernacle that's with God the Father right now, that, that, that he is washed in his blood, that he's prepared for us. This is what, this is how the letter, part of how the letter concludes. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He's talking about some things in this life that when, the, when the, you know, it's like one of those uh, uh, sand things, you know, you shake or the stuff that doesn't matter falls through, but there's stuff that can't be shaken, that can't be lost, you know. And he says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, let us be thankful, right, for the unshakable kingdom and let us so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I mean, let us live a life of awe before God because our God is an all-consuming fire. Interesting, right? They said, weren't our hearts burning within us? Did you not sense it? And, and, and there's this thing where we have tendency after the fact to go, oh, how could I have missed it? Now, 13.1. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Or actually wrote down because I wanted to um, get, this, get this right. It says, uh, let brotherly love continue to abide amongst you. That's a danger. You know, keep loving each other. Let God's, the brotherly love, I should say, continue to abide amongst one another. Continue to live where you live. And then this. And do not forget to entertain strangers for by doing so some people have entertained angels without ever knowing it. Keep loving people. Keep loving each other. And keep, and this is the word, loving strangers. The word's xenos philos, right? It's a philos xenos. It's the love of other. Keep loving people who aren't like you. Keep being a host. Keep being a guest. 
Keep showing up places that you're not comfortable showing up and keep inviting people you're not comfortable hanging out with. Like, that's the encouragement and exhortation. Because the kingdom's unshakable, because the promise is assured, because of what Jesus has bought, because of what he's taught, because of who he is, keep on loving people. First love one another and love others. Don't forget to entertain strangers. That's such a weak way of saying philos xenos, love others. Brother, the brother love you extend to one another, extend it to someone else. Why? Because by doing so, people have entertained angels. And I know you're thinking like, I mean, I don't know what kind of vision you have of angels. You know, a lot of times it's like the little pins that you put on your lapel that the bottom part wiggles and the top part has a halo, you know. Or maybe it's the uh, picture of the fluffy babies with the diapers and the clouds. I don't know what it is. Maybe you are more biblical and yours is like, uh, you know, like Michael, <laughs> you know, a warrior angel. Um, not to be trifled with, terrifying. Context is key, right? I mean, what if it just means don't forget to love people not like you because they are bringing the word of God for you. See, the word angel means a messenger, a deliverer, coming to say something, right? You've got mail, whatever it is. Damn, here it is. And 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 listen, don't forget to do it because every time we don't, those two dudes, man, I want you to think back. Those two dudes, if they had just said, that was a great Bible lesson, and moved on and went and had their meal at night, they'd have missed it. They'd have missed it. But they entertained a stranger. They invited him in. And we are invited to that same, like we're invited to have an empty place at our table. We're invited to say, yes, come in, hang out. You're not like us. But they might have a word of God for us that we need to hear. And that's part of the problem, actually, about we get so close. Well, we've got all the answers. We don't need anybody else at the table to tell us. It's more answers are confusing. No, it's not. Story of, of Mubarak and Muhammad, right? Those dudes are going to tell the gospel story in a way that you're going to go, well, I needed to hear that. What? We, we, we all need it. Someone to be leading us to those empty spaces, encouraging us at that empty seat. Listen, bringing the word from God. I want to read one more verse here, three. Remember those in prison, listen to what the word says, as if you were fellow prisoners with them. You know, it's like, don't, don't think about people in prison like, oh, it's a shame over there. But think like, oh man, I'm with you. Oh. Remember those who are in prison as if you were fellow prisoners. And listen, those who are being mistreated as if you're suffering too. It kind of says like you're not, but, but you know, remember them like you are. Don't forget, you're called to love them. Those who are far, those who, who, who believe they're far from God. Why? Because in that empty space, God shows up. Now, I know, maybe you don't agree. I know you're fighting, and this is risky, right, to do that. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not for that. Like, that's not my, listen, that's Christian faith. <laughs> like, it's like, this is what you're called to do. This is who we're called to be. And by the grace of God, we end up at the end saying, like, we're not our hearts burning within us as we walked along the road and we talked, right? Was he not revealing himself to us? See, here's the thing, I think. Jesus leaves these empty spaces in our lives. Or, uh, Jesus leaves empty spaces in his life that we might um, wonder at his death and resurrection. And we might, I mean, have some 
uh, there's a great word called epistemological humility. Epistemological humility means like to have some humility about how we know what we know. Uh, we're not know-it-alls, Ugh, right? I didn't figure this out. God is holy. He's leading us in a place that we need to learn from him. And many of us would wish he was just more obvious. God, would you just show us fully right now? But here's the thing. By knowing in part, I don't, this is what I want to set on. Jesus solidifies a master stroke as Lord and as Rabbi. In, in his disappearing that moment, you just get a glimpse. It's his master stroke of faith to just say, keep coming. You're on the right path. Keep looking. Your hearts are burning within you. Don't stop. Just, right? And he just leads us toward him. He just teaches us to believe. He just calls us out in faith. And it's his master stroke. And listen, it's not as though he's absent. He's leading. And then he says, don't forget to love each other and love strangers. Because when you do, you're entertaining God's messengers unaware. Like just leading in that way. I want um, in your life, like what I want what God wants for you so badly. And I want what God wants for me. Right? Like I want my prayer all the time. But... Um, some of you I know you're like going, man, I, you know, and I, I feel like I want, I want God to break through that, whatever that thing is, you just go, I just want to see that thing I want God to break through. But here, I am never and you are never going to step on the sovereignty and the wisdom and the authority of God because he's the master teacher. I just want to encourage you in that empty space to see him, you know, to ask that question. Are our hearts burning within us? Maybe this morning it is for you. Maybe that there's that thing. I mean, I don't know what it is that God's like been stirring in you, and you're just like, yes. And there's been a little bit of an awakening. You go, oh yes. I want you to focus on that burning of God. I do. I want us to pray sincerely before the God who is present, the God who is not absent, the Lord who is ruling. And I'm going to ask Him just to fan that into flame, a consuming fire. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the gospel that has come to us. And we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, who's the great teacher and leader and Lord and master of our lives. And Father, as we, as we stand here uh, recognizing your full presence with us, that there's nothing lacking in this moment, that there's nothing else we need, there's no one else we need to turn to but you and your spirit and your teaching, Father, that I pray that those, that, that I just said for my brothers and sisters here that, 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 that flame and whatever it is, Father, that little flicker. And today, if it's a little flicker of faith, they, they, people just don't even, I can't even believe good news at all, whatever, my life's been a mess, whatever, that, that you would fan that into the flame of fire of a consuming faith. Father, for those of us who have had those wisps like those two guys on a man's root, just, just saw, just, you know, downcast, like we had hope in the past, that, that we had that little flicker, that little flame, that you would just fan that by the power of the Holy Spirit into a roaring fire of faith, your glory. And then we would, we would just go, yes, our hearts are burning within us. Father, here's the prayer too, that if there's those folks that we need to be open to, that we need to be sensitive to, that we're uncomfortable with, that you've been challenging us to approach and to reach out to with the gospel. And we say, I just don't know. I, I, I'm afraid to do that alone. Listen, Father, would you show up in a way to say that, that we are not alone and that you are orchestrating those opportunities and events, Father, for your glory. Give us courage. We've heard great testimony this morning of brothers who have great courage. Give us that courage to just live in that space of faith. Oh, Father, listen, you are worthy to be worshipped and praised. Your Son and our Savior, we confess 
is more than a good prophet, more than a good teacher. He's God. He died for our sins. And we confess that by the power of your Holy Spirit. He is Lord and Master of our lives. Help us to live a life with the sight of Easter and the glory revealed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.